there's a lot of information uh, that I want to share with you this morning. And I'm not sure, as I said already, that we'll get through uh, all that I have planned, and that's okay. We'll do just what we can do. We'll trust God to open our hearts to him and as we go through this study. And if you have any further questions, you can talk to Bob Bennett because he is taking the, our senior ministry, Maranatha, through this same book. So he and I are both going to be sharing different thoughts on how God can bless as we go through the book of Romans. So it's time for a little review. So Paul's letter to the saints in Rome is the longest letter that Paul had ever written. Saul was Jewish. I want to go back to his name as we set the scene here. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as Pharisees. The name Pharisee meant set apart, separated one. As you heard me say last week, a Pharisee would not even allow an ordinary person to brush against their clothing. And the Pharisees considered the Gentiles fuel for the, the fires of hell. Isn't, I think it isn't it ironic that Saul, who later became Paul, he became a missionary to the Gentiles. Isn't that ironic? I believe, honestly, you can see a little bit of humor here from God. Saul originally saw... Uh, Jesus as an ominous, as a dire threat to Judaism. One day when he's on, he was on a search, destroy, and imprison mission, Jesus introduced himself to Saul. Jesus asked Saul, why are you so angry and why, why are you so full of hate to those who believe in me? And Jesus blinded Saul for three days. We know the story. And in that space of time, Saul had a radical change of mindset and heart toward Jesus, toward God. Now, Jesus appointed Saul, now listen to this, as an O-R-J-C. That's an official representative of Jesus Christ. That's what you and I are. O-R-J-C, an official representative of Jesus Christ. God set Saul apart as an apostle, and then Saul changed his name later to, to Paul, and he began his journey to these new communities called churches that were springing up, that were growing throughout the Roman Empire, teaching them about Jesus Christ. Paul wrote letters to these new communities called churches, and these letters, we know them as epistles, were to help the churches grow, to encourage them, and to answer personal questions about how to follow Jesus personally. We know from the book of Acts that the churches, the saints, were made up of Jewish and Gentile believers. Now, here's a little bit of history that fits right within all of this. The emperor Claudius reigned for 13 years from 41 to 54 AD. At some time in his 13-year reign, probably in 49 AD, to the best of my ability that I could find, um, he expelled the Jews and, and Christians from Rome. Five years later, after the expulsion, they were allowed to return to the capital city. And when these Christians, Jewish and Gentile, returned, they were, they were, what they found is they were primarily Jewish. During this period of expulsion... Other Gentiles, and perhaps Jews, were, were accepting Jesus as their Savior. So this created tension. 
Now, Paul's letter arrived in 57, 58 AD, and the Jews were beginning to come back into Rome after the edict of, of expulsion had lapsed. When the Jewish Christians began returning, they, they encountered these house churches composed of more Gentiles than Jews. And so they found that their church, <laughs> we, we all have that, don't we? It's, it's my church. In fact, some of you have your chair, don't you? We, we went to a church in Florida one time, and we were sitting in a very comfortable pew right on the edge, and a lady, older lady tapped us on the shoulder and tapped Cindy on the shoulder, leaned over and said, excuse me, you're sitting in my space. Would you please move? As a visitor, we said, Sure. And then they had this opportunity. They said, now, as a visitor, would our visitors please stand up? So we stood up, and she went, ugh. <laughs> you see, we have our possession. We, this is our church. So when these Jews and Gentiles were coming back, there was tension there. And, and this, this, disagreements like this were occurring. Okay, the Gentiles were saying, we're free in Christ. And the Jews were saying, you must eat kosher. And, and, and the Jews were saying, you must worship on the Sabbath. But the Gentiles were saying, you can worship on the first day of the week. People were struggling to know uh, how to follow Jesus correctly. And Paul wrote this letter to help them become more unified. You know the story, he was going to Rome to visit the saints, and then his goal was to go on to Spain to share Jesus Christ there. All of these circumstances and more are what caused Paul to write this letter. But he wrote specifically about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And the point that we need to understand about this book, he was writing about the good news, the gospel. But in all of this, there are things that need attention Here's a preview. It's in your, your notes, your sermon notes, chapters 1 through 4. Now, this is my ideas, so I'm sure other scholars have other ideas as well as Bob. Chapters 1 through 4 reveal God's righteousness. Chapters 5 through 8 tell us that through Jesus Christ we are justified. Chapters 9 through 11 tell us that God fulfills his promises. 12 through 16, we see the unification of the Jews or, and Gentiles, or we could call this the unification of the church. But now what I want to do is just go in, I think we might get through chapters 1 and 2 today, and filling in some of these things that I think are important. We already dealt with this last week. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul begins with his credentials. He tells the saints that he's been set apart to teach the good news about the risen king. Brother and sister in Christ, when you believe that Jesus was your savior, you've been set apart. We'll deal with this a little later on. And you've been set apart to share and tell those, tell others about the risen king, Jesus Christ. We just sang about this this morning. Verses two through six, uh, we see that uh, Paul tells them that God is able to save those who trust him. And the gospel is God's power to save people from their sins. And the gospel reveals God's righteousness. 
We have trouble with righteousness. We'll talk about that. It's an Old Testament word that describes God's character. In other words, God always does what is right and good. And the word demonstrates God's faithfulness to his people to fulfill his promises. Now we get into the wrath of God. You see, that is all with his righteousness as well. Verses 18 through 32 really are sometimes a difficult passage to look at. But the wrath of God is revealed. Actually, if you want to know what salvation is, you have to know how bad sin is. And we'll see that in these verses. Wrath is an antithesis. It's a contrast. of. um, It's used here as a corrective, a point of education. In these verses, you see God's continuous revelation from both in the Old Testament and the New. God is consistently displeased with evil and sin. In my prayer, I said this this morning, we must listen lest we miss what is for us and we become relaxed and accepting things that are wrong and sinful. God is merciful. Not because he's lenient with a sinner, he's merciful, he's lenient to us because Christ died for us. The gospel has not changed God's attitude towards sin. Verses, uh, chapter 14 uh, of Psalms, in verse 1, says this, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. The word fool means insane. A man is insane when he denies the existence of God. Now, verses 21 through 23 really contradict the theory of evolution. Man is not improving physically. Man is not improving morally or intellectually or spiritually. You can argue the point we have PhDs and multiple doctorates, but... There's an absence of God in their direction of life. The human heart is wicked. We know this. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can know it? Every one of us are trapped in sin. The mind and heart are broken. And we've turned away from God and embraced idolatry. The world is caught up in idolatry, and the believer struggles with idolatry. Our enemy, Satan, is extremely powerful. Verses 25 through 27. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women, and they were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty. Did you hear that? The due penalty of their perversion. These people knew of God. 
And here what you see is homosexuality. You see lesbianism. You see sodomy here. What, what have we done today? What have we done? Several years ago, it was legislated that same-sex marriage is okay. And we have Christians today that argue that point. God gave woman back in Genesis to man to make his life more complete. The issue Paul was speaking to is the same issue we have today. Man has exchanged the true God for a lie. And here in Romans, God says he gave them up to idolatry and gross immorality. What you're looking at here in these verses is the bitter fruits of rejecting God's truth. God gave them over to a, it might be, you might read this in your Bible, a uh, depraved mind. It literally means a calloused mind. These people knew God, but they refused to glorify him as God. We must listen to the word of God. We must obey the word of God. They knew God would judge them. And when a person refuses to let God occupy his mind for sure, sin and unrighteousness will occupy his mind. And God has a right to judge, and he says so right here. Now we're going to go into chapter 2. Chapter 2 is, we see um, that God is just, and we see God's righteous judgment. We see that as we continue. Now chapter 1, chapter 1 reveals the unrighteousness of man. And chapter 2 reveals the self-righteousness of man. Wow, self-righteous. In this chapter, Paul is showing that God will judge self-righteous people. He'll judge religious people. He will. It's important that I say this. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you're lost. And Paul is talking here about sin and the basis upon which God will judge this sin. Now, verses 1 and 2. This is important. You, therefore, have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other. Did you hear? You have no excuse. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Oh, we do. We do. We just don't talk about it, and many of us don't get caught. Now we know what God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God is saying this, by the same token that you judge others, he has the right to judge you by his standards. Oh, I hope that moves you to relax a little bit, to stop talking about other people, to stop gossiping. I'm going to say this again. I hope this moves you to relax, to stop talking about other people, to stop gossiping and judging, and let God do his work his way. Look at verse 4. 
Don't you see how wonderful and kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We ought to realize that the goodness of God is something that should bring us to our knees. A little confession here. As I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about the judgments I have made in my mind about other people. And I thought, God, you have a right to judge me by your standards. So let's be honest. Let's all be honest. That's probably what's happening in your own life. We ought to realize that the goodness of God is something that should drive us to our knees. But Paul is saying instead, we we turn away from God. Now, aren't you disturbed that the wicked seem to get away with so much sin? I am. And I found something here in Psalm chapter 73. You need to read it. It bothered David. God's anointed king, until he went into the sanctuary of God, and then he understood. He spent time with God. Brother and sister, we need to spend time with God. Pray for Dover Baptist Church. Pray for yourself. Pray that God will bless us again to send people out. Pray that God will bless us with our finances, that he will bless you to give. Pray for God's forgiveness. Thank him. Verses 5 and 6. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, well, he really lays it on here. You're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Sin breaks God's heart. Our deeds will stand before God, every one of them, all of them. Now, verses 7 through 11, let me read those. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are evil, excuse me, self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being. Who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Pay attention to verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Listen carefully. A person's habitual conduct, whether good or evil, reveals the condition of their heart. But all men, all women, all children are alike before God. He doesn't show favoritism. He is impartial, whether Jew or Gentile. The question is, do you have a Savior? Are you following him, and are you confessing your sins? Now, if we go to verses 12 through 15, there's a question that arises here if you read through this. 
often the question comes up, and it's this, are the heathen really lost? I know this will generate some conversation among you, but yes, they're lost because they're sinners. God's would, God would judge the heathen by his own conscience and his standards. You see, we have this false idea that if we do good things, we think we're saved. But the point here is God's going to judge the do-gooders. He will judge religious people, religious Christians. And he'll judge the Jews in particular. And the reason is in verses 17 and 18. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. You see, they had a God-given religion. Paul's question is, you teach others. Are you teaching yourself? This goes back to that question, are you judging others? Stop it. Let God do his work. Teach yourself. You see, they knew better. They knew they had the Ten Commandments. They had ten reasons. You see, therefore, God's judgment will be harder for them. Verses 29 through 25, and we're going to wrap up with this. We see God's righteous judgment because the Jews, they trusted in their rights of the right of circumcision. It was their outward mark that they belonged to God. Everyone knew that. Okay. But you see, in the process of all through these years, they had made 600, I think, 613 different laws. And they had all these rights that they did, and, and, and they thought themselves superior. Especially superior over the Gentiles. Verse 28, you see, they followed the law. A man is not a Jew if he is only, listen carefully here. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. You see, God's looking at the heart. That's what we see right here before we go any further. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Okay, it's a mark. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the written code, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So they bragged about the law. They bragged that they were better than others. You see, they followed the law. And many of us, we follow the, we, the, the law. Um, not too long ago, I had a person tell me, uh, that they live by the Ten Commandments. And I actually heard this, too, on, on the radio, uh, on the Christian station. So this kind of coincides, but I never thought to do this. On the radio, the person said, and I honestly can't remember which one of the preachers said this. Uh, I was driving, not able to write it down. But they said, okay, you live by the Ten Commandments? Uh, which one? Name one. Name all of them. Okay, you live by, you, know, you see? But we have our own law that we live by. So 
this is, I want you to listen carefully. God said a circumcised heart is one that's separated from the world and dedicated to God. The true Jew receives his praise not from men but from God who sees and discerns the heart. This is our last thought here this morning. The same is true for the follower of Jesus Christ. God loves the person who sees, who sees and discerns, who discerns and understands with their heart. Brother and sister, there's some good things here, and there's more to come. Gracious Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this simple overview of the book of Romans. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence here this morning. And it is my prayer, Father, my simple prayer, that we would be yielded to you. Lord, the law that we live by, is it yours? Are we living because our heart is right with you? Are we following you, Lord, because our heart is right with you? Are we just doing it and we're a religious believer, self-righteous? We are all guilty of this. And it's good for us to see that God says, okay, there's a cure for this. It's, it's very simple. Just come to me and, and confess that. And I separate that sin from you. And God simply wants us to live by following him, our Savior, the one who sacrificed his love for us by the word and by putting the word in our heart. So Lord, as we leave here today, I pray that we leave different thinking about what we need to do to, to make things right. And Lord, we can do that right now as I'm speaking. It could have been done through the time I was speaking. But would you strengthen this body? Father, would you, would you bless this body? We boldly ask you to do that. We ask you to bless us with seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. We ask you to bless us to see people truly just yielding their heart to you. And Lord, as I prayed with the mission prayer, might we be blessed again to send our very own to the field. What a blessing it was to see what this church, what you've enabled this church to do through these years. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this for your, for your sake, for your glory. May it, may it bring glory to your name because of the changes, but because of the yieldedness of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.